Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Lars Tiffany to the Philosophy Podcast. Lars is the head coach of the University of Virginia, a uh, former teammate of mine. We were captains together of the 1989 Brown lacrosse team, and he is currently uh, enjoying the fact that they won the national championship last year, but they're gearing up for 2020. It's a new year, and Lars, I'm so fired up to have you on the show. Yeah, Jamie, it's, it's, uh, it's always good to talk to you, you know, and uh, we can – put the secret out, you know, that you and I tried to do this a few days ago, but after 75 minutes of talking lacrosse and two-man game, there was no time left, so we had to reschedule to actually do this podcast. <laughs> no, it's so funny. I mean, it was totally worth it, too, you know, and, like, just, it helps me so much to share and learn, uh, share yeah. my thoughts and get feedback on anything else, and uh, so I appreciate the time as always, buddy. Yeah. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program, now featuring a seven-day free trial period. And here's your host, Jamie Monroe, with more information on how you can get your hands on some of the best lacrosse content out there for free. How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to my podcasts. I've had so much fun doing them. I only wish that I'd started recording my lacrosse conversations like 25 or 30 years ago. Now, if you like these podcasts, you will love the content I've created in the JM3 Coaches Training Programs and the Academies. Whether you're a coach or a player or a parent, there's so much great information for you guys. I've done this content for men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse, for box lacrosse, field lacrosse, youth lacrosse. And the great news is I've created a seven-day free trial. So if you're tired of endlessly searching the internet for great content, just go to www.jm3sports.com slash free trial. And you can get access to all of the content I've created for free for seven days. Trust me, when you take a look at it, you're going to want more. Almost everybody gets hooked. All right. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Um, well, speaking of which, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this on our last conversation, but I, but I want to kind of kick this off because it's just interesting, but we got to talk a little Lake Placid in Brown State. Yes. And, you know, there is nothing more fun and you forget about this when you're a coach. It, you forget about A, how fun it is to actually play, how hard it is to play, mm -hmm. how bad you can be when you have expectations of all this stuff and you're like oh my gosh like that was just brutal but at the same time you're like you know what you know there's a little bit of experience here that can make some things pretty good but how do you look at playing um as it relates to you know you as a division one head lacrosse player you know first it's the it's the joy and the fun of it yeah, there's no question you know you, you and i talk sometimes about playing for the creator but you know it, it's, it's to be enjoying this game you know, yeah, we play to win to lose in some sense, but yeah. it's really just the joy of being out there and playing, obviously, this, sort of this time machine where you just get to go back 25, 30 years and be playing with friends and teammates uh, that you probably thought it never would happen again, you know, and we get to do it almost annually at the Lake Placid. So it's a real special treat. 
but I think more strategically and it's continuing to build more empathy for what the men that we're coaching are going through. And you're right. We lose touch of that. We lose that connectivity of how hard physically it can be to bounce back and come back the next day after a tough practice on Tuesday, what's Wednesday's practice going to be like. And I think what it's also the joy, obviously in late classes for the most part, there's not much coaching going on. And so you can go out there and make plays and, and, and communicate with your teammates. Can we create that within our team at Virginia? Can we, not be overbearing as coaches and, and not be threatening and too, too much pressure and just create schemes and then let the men play within that. You know, if we've done our job and we've recruited really talented players and in practice made them better players, then on game day within some simpler schemes, let them be what we've what we recruited them to do and develop them to do. Yeah, it's, um, you're so right. Um, and the joy, the camaraderie, Yes. Being able to hang out, to be able to enjoy a win, you know, with your buddies, just like it was in a time machine back to 30 year, 30 plus years ago. Um, so fun. And it's also really amazing too. Like we talk about how hard it is and how physically demanding it is, but also just the mental side of it. I mean, um, you know, like, you know, we all know what we're supposed to do at this point. And then to be able to actually do it, is is not as easy as it should be when you know how to do it and therefore there there just comes this this piece of like you know getting getting comfortable and having the confidence to make all those decisions but i gotta say the defense you guys ran uh was phenomenal and uh and i i, I you just got to pump it up a little bit with john canaris and the goal um and dave katowski and you and uh and sully i mean talk about that a little bit because it was pretty awesome to watch um, the way you guys communicated and played together. Yeah, well, certainly we had, we had some, uh, a lot of support behind us, erasing mistakes, that's for sure. But um, what I really enjoyed was being, having David Katowski take the top matchups. And uh, he has reduced his mass by about 50 or 60 pounds. Uh, <laughs> the intensity's never, never uh, relented. He's always been the same Dave Gay. Yeah. And but now he can move and he's agile and is, he's playing really, really good on ball defense. And He's uh, taken some of the toughest matchups that you can find, again, in the 50-year-old 50 50 year age category. It, uh, it allows him to really be the sort of the marquee cover guy. And, um, and then we have some really other big, strong defensemen as well. And uh, I like it. I can just be more of a communicator and sort of off-ball and, and sending, sending slides and trying to pick off passes and run the field. <laughs> is that, are you learning things, you know, as you're playing that, that are occurring to you as far as communication wise goes as to how you might try to teach your players at Virginia? It, it, you know, it does. And I almost may be learning more of what I shouldn't be doing. Like sometimes I'm like adamant, like fellas, I want you to stand this way when you're off ball. And I want you to, you know, maybe, maybe I, I find myself doing exactly what I don't teach and I'm more comfortable in that position. Right. Yeah. You know, I may have seen it theoretically once and it looked beautiful on a piece of paper and in a film clip, but that doesn't necessarily work for everybody. And, and I think playing allows me to understand that giving them, giving the men more versatility and options is probably better. There's a military term, decentralized command that I read recently. And I really like that. You know, you can't always call back to headquarters and expect new orders. You got to make decisions on the ground, you know, in the thick of it, in the battle. And, so that's really – so I see that someone like Placid. Sometimes you've got to wing it. I don't know if we have a word for what they just did, but, you know, we've got to talk through this. And, and um, so playing the game definitely gives me more empathy, and I, 
And I absolutely know it makes me better prepared to, to teach our men. Yeah, no doubt. Well, and I got to correct you on one thing. It's not a 50 and over. That's a 45 and over. So for us, oh, that's true. like 52 <laughs> or 50, coming up on 53, I was a much better athlete when I was 45 than when I was 52. I'll tell you that. It's so. that it's, I don't know about you, the elasticity, right? You know, that elasticity, flexibility, <laughs> the bounce in the knees. Yeah, it's uh, that is going, but, but it, honestly, it was our two oldest players, really you and Dave K, you know, class of 89 graduates, you know, made some of the biggest impact. You know, it's funny because uh, that was the first time I'd strapped on the equipment in probably around eight, nine years. I think I came in 2010 was the last time I came to Lake Placid. But I do play pickup games all the time. And I just sent you a video that you checked out um, of uh, chronicling a lot of the games we played over the course of 2019. And I, I would love to hear your thoughts and your take on that um, because it truly is the joy of the game when you kind of watch that, isn't it? It reminds me of watching lacrosse when I was growing up with the Onondagas, you know, and, uh, you know, we think of the Onondagas and box lacrosse as a physical violent sport, and it certainly can be, but not at the youth level and not if you just, you know, say, hey, this is not a contact day, you know, and watching pickup games in, in the, uh, the, out, the original outdoor box on the Onondaga Reserve, you know, it's just, it's really cool to see what you promote and uh, put out there, whether it's in sand is underneath your feet or tarmac or, or grass, whatever you're playing on. Um, to see the flow and motion and how this game can, uh, uh, can be beautiful and how much you can learn without sm slashing each other, without, you know, without the heavy contact. And yeah. um, to see the, uh, the aspect of the two-man game and, um, and in different variations, whether it's three by three, three versus three, or four versus four, or three versus two, whatever it is, you know, just you know, adapt to what you have, the conditions. That it, it, and just, it's just fun to watch you guys. And knowing that people are getting better, not only with their stick skills, but their creativity. Yeah. And that's part of like what you're talking about before. Like there's a lot of ways to get things done. And sometimes we parent how we were parented. We coach how we were coached. We have expectations of things because yeah. of what we know and what we've done. But when you actually watch it, and I film a lot of those pickup games, and it is amazing how much you can learn from watching the way people accomplish things. Because in many ways, skills are solutions. Huh. Skills are solutions. Interesting. Right. Yeah. You know, you make decisions to, you know, you, you process something, you make a decision and you execute a skill uh, upon making a decision. And that, that the skill is usually a solution to something that you're, you're going against. Yes. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, and uh, it's just, it's just so much fun. Um, and I know I've, you know, I went to, um, got on my RV road trip last year. I made the stop in Charlottesville. Um, <laughs> we're really looking forward to getting out of the polar vortex, but it might've been the cold stay in Charlottesville. He, he, that thing followed you. It was, <laughs> but, but the point is you guys had a great day of small ball going on that day in which, um, you know, you have the uh, small nets and the tennis balls and, and maybe share yeah. a little bit about why you do that. Um, and, uh, how often. Yeah, about twice a week. You know, a lot of our practices, there's a template. The first 15 minutes, the offense is with Sean, defense is me in the middle of the field, goalies with Kip, faceoff guys are also getting first 12 to 15 minutes pre-practice. This is not dynamic type activity or hitting. This is really more of a thinking session, going through packages and plays and slide packages. Then, then the next 12 to 15 minutes is the dynamic warm-up with some early stick work. And from there, now we're diving into the uh, this what we called our station work, and so we've got stations of 
four minutes each, three different stations, and we're going to uh, implement our uh, smaller picture things, a 1v1, 2v2s, uh, um, general drill, off ball to on ball, kick game, and just, you know, with small, three, three groups of rotating, what are the smaller pieces of the bigger picture? Mm-hmm. And this is where we start getting after each other. One of those things we like to put in there is the three by, you know, putting a three versus two, three with a small net, a three, uh, three by three goal and a tennis ball. And just, it's just another opportunity for some of that creativity to come out. If you looked at our practice plan, it's very regimented. 328, boom, 333, bam, 335. But I guess within that regimentation, I don't want it to be too structured in terms of the decision-making and the, and the, and the schemes. So um, seeing our men get better is something I'm ultimately responsible for. And that player development is so key. And I think three, you know, those small-sided games absolutely do that. I saw uh, a clip on Twitter. Since you don't have a Twitter, you probably never saw it, but it was a, a clip from your, one of your guys' practices. And it was in small ball. And it was uh, some kind of a two-man situation in which Doc Saken had the ball. And all of a sudden, he's like reading the play, just like we were talking about when we got distracted on our last Zoom call. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, his man was overplaying them a little bit, and he swam them and got through. And it was just like, that is what it's all about, you know, because he is learning how to – that was a solution to being a little bit overplayed to the outside uh, by a switch in a two-man situation in which yeah. he got underneath it and swam <laughs> in and got to the net and then d- dunked it with a twister short side. And I was like, that's it, you know? Huh. Skills are solution, as you're saying. I really like that. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, it's just fun to see what they come up with, right? You know, as coaches, we want as a young coach, I wanted to have all the answers, and I realized I, I can't. And I'm limiting him if I think I have all the answers. And it's so wonderful to see them just these create these moments that make me go, aha, wow, never thought of that. And, uh, and so just trying to make sure that it's within the practice. Right? Plus, I want the guys to come to practice knowing they're going to enjoy it, that it's going to be fun. Right. There's going to be some work. There's going to be some things you got to grind through. That ground ball drill, we're going to get it. You're going to get slashed. But I want them to come to practice excited for it. And and uh, and and, and those, those the three by games are great. Yeah, no doubt. All right, I want to switch gears for a second. Um, obviously, you guys had a, a huge year. Won the national championship. Total great leadership. Great, you know, when a team comes together like that and is able to win so many games. Um, that are close games, one goal games come from behind victories that, you know, it takes a certain type of team and confidence and culture. Um, But we're turning the page to 2020 now. Um, How are you building and rebuilding your culture? Because it is a new group and you can't just lean on what you did last year. Exactly. The question you just asked, we've spent more time thinking about than any other question, how to answer that question. You can't just hit reset. You can't do things identical. Um, one analogy is, look at how many times we came from behind, you know, three, four goals late. We, we can't rely on that. You know, that's, that's unsustainable. So we've got to be better. Think about how many more our opponents have prepared for us. You know, coming out of the 2018 season, we had made the NCAA tournament, lost in the first round of Loyola. People were like, okay, Virginia could be good, but watch some film. But, you know, now people are definitely going to be better prepared for us. What is Virginia doing well? And maybe not only just to prepare for us, but maybe saying, well, how did Virginia 
what, what are they doing in their riding game? And so people might be just emulating something. So we're going to be more of a known factor. And I've equated it to this, you know, I don't know what the units of work are there are, but let's say we came up with fellows, let's say last year between all the film sessions, the practice, the trainings, the weight room, we came up with 42 something units. That's not enough. If we want to win a consecutive title, if we want to do this again, um, cause we can't rely on the luck. We can't, Relying, being a little bit of an unknown early in the year. Um, we've got to do 48 or 52 of these units. And so just trying to change that mindset is something that we've really focused on all year. Can't play the underdog role. You know, that's so easy. So many athletes want to beat their chest. Nobody believed in us. You know, that's not the case here, fellas. If, uh, if you're recruited to play football at Alabama, you, you can't, you don't go in there talking about being the underdog. But it's so easy to say that. Uh, you can't say nothing to lose, which I've never liked that saying. And I actually heard that a month ago from one of my men, and I reprimanded him quickly. Um, <laughs> there's a game to lose, you know, but especially as a Virginia lacrosse player. You can't say I have nothing to lose. And so really what it comes down to, Jamie, is how do we make pressure and nerves our ally? Like we go into – you're getting ready for a game. You should feel nervous. There should be that factor. And if you don't have it, you're probably not prepared or way overconfident. Can we do the same thing with pressure? And this is a concept that we're trying to understand. How do we understand and embrace pressure and make pressure an ally for us? Uh, because it's, it's real, it's real going to be there. That you can't deny it. Um, and so can we turn it into a positive? And um, so we've spent a lot of time. Again, we do the books that, you know, you know we, we do a lot of reading. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So you, you, you've, every year you've picked a book. Yes. What's year's book? Yeah, this year is The Obstacles Away by Ryan Holiday. It's uh, the original Stoics. Uh, Marcus Aurelius actually may have been the original Stoic. Uh, I highly recommend this book. The first time I read it, I liked it, didn't love it. The second time I read it, I started really making sense of how this is a valuable tool if you're trying to do what I'm trying to do and a lot of other coaches are doing, molding young men. 30 chapters or so, and they're bite-sized, like six pages are easily digested. Each, each chapter, is a, there's a theme. But they've always got like a, a person from history, whether it was science or sports or military, that they can use as an example of the obstacles they overcame, whether it was uh, their will, uh, their actions, their preparation. And I just, I really like this one in the setting of building up um, a team mindset. And so the obstacles- again, obstacles of what? The obstacle is the way. The so essentially saying the obstacle is the way. So if there's a mountain ahead of us and we've got a, there's no way around, the, the pursuit of the peak, the climbing of it becomes the way and it'll make us better. It'll embolden us. Uh, the, the, my favorite quote from the book is that which impedes us empowers us. You know, and I think about that, you know, how think about the championship game when we played Yale. Um, we had played so many good teams up to that point. And now Yale may have was probably the best team we played to that, to that point because they, they won a national championship the year before and they earned another appearance there. But ACC play, you know, and other teams on our schedule, those were big mountains we had to overcome. And those options, that which impedes us, empowers us. So because of the challenges we had faced all season, um, we were in a better place to, uh, to play well in that championship game. So it's that reading those, and we do these month, uh, weekly, excuse me, weekly Friday meetings, um, Thursday in the spring, but just getting them in the talk and make these connections from the book to the Virginia lacrosse program and, and how we're training and how we're practicing, but also the, the mindset. And a lot of what you, 
everything you, you, has been focused on that original question. How do we handle the pressure and the expectations of being the team that won it last year? And, um, and how can we be hungrier? Can we, can we act like the team that hasn't won one? And it's, you know, that hunger is another word we talk a lot about. Yeah. I remember when um, 20 years ago when Princeton was on that amazing run in the late nineties. And I remember Bill Tierney after two championships where they were definitely, you know, the favorite team to win the third in 1998. I remember him always talking about staying humble. How much has that been a part of your um, thought process? Yeah, it's um, we've talked about it, but we, we've moved right past it because I really do think this group is, is as humble as a group of 20 year old men can be. And uh, it's really hard to, to let your ego get big and to be conceited when you've got Doc's Aiken as a role model. Um, Here's the guy who's a first team all American twice. And if you spend time with Doc's it's, you'd be hard pressed to think that uh, there's any ego inside him. He, in our cultural meetings, you know, this past semester on those Fridays, Docs is sitting there wide-eyed looking at you like, you know, the next thing you say is the most important thing he's going to need to know. And it's, you know, like it's gold. And he could be a lot, you know, more comfortable and relaxed and sitting in the back of the room, chilling out. Like, I got this, I got this, but he's engaged. And he, uh, you kind of look to people like that. And we have more like that. Michael Krause is very similar. And um, I don't hear them say me and I much. Uh, and they're both captains because of that. So we haven't had to worry about the humble thing as much. And I'm very, very grateful for that. That's, that's a function, I think, of the, the leadership. You look at what the big yeah. dogs are doing and the, the well, alpha males. And your, your success is definitely, you know, in, in part because of that, those attitudes of those, of those players. Absolutely. When you know, and you've been you've been coach at the highest level. When, when your best players are your grinders, the hardest workers, and the most humble and the most positive, <laughs> you're like, okay, we can be dangerous this year. Uh, my first year of Virginia was Doc Aiken and Michael Krause's first year. We lost a, a tough one goal game in the Carrier Dome, and uh, I'm sitting at the press room table, surrounded by two first years. And the words that came out of their mouth, their mouth blew me away. You know, the sting as you're driving home to Charlottesville with that one goal loss and another ACC loss in a row for Virginia uh, was lessened. <laughs> I just, what those two said, it sounded like what a 12-year-old veteran quarterback in the NFL would say to the press and say all the right things. And I, I just couldn't believe that these 19-year-olds next to me. And so they've continued to do that. And, um, and so we've got really, really good internal leadership. The Philacrosophy podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 video assessment tool. There's no question that video is critical to player development. One way or another, your son or daughter must utilize video to learn their game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3sports.com forward slash video right now. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, switching gears again. Um, you adopted a play fast mentality mentality at Brown, tweaked it, uh, you know, from one year to the next, but it, it brought you with an amazing group to the NCAA final four in 2016. 
really one of the best groups of players yeah. fun and fun teams to watch that I've ever seen. And being a Brown alum, it made me extra proud. And then you brought this play fast mentality to Virginia. And we've talked about it a little bit, but I, I want to get the state of the union on how you want to play based on where this is evolving. Yeah. Well, I'll answer it two different ways. One, Virginia probably played a little slower in 2019 than a lot of people anticipated with the advent of the shot clock. You know, for a lot of teams, the shot clock sped them up. For us, it slowed us down. It was having a big clock right there really serving as an educational tool of our decision-making. What we had found when we played fast at Brown and the first couple of years of Virginia, wildly exciting, uh, erratic at times, and filled with fraught decision-making. But again, as coaches, we made that decision. Hey, we're okay with turnovers. But sometimes it was like, why are we taking that shot that early in the shot clock or, or that early in a possession? Well, now we could say, why are we taking that shot that early in the shot clock? Look what the number says. It says 58 seconds over there. And I could, there was a moment with playing with Docs uh, early in the season when we played high point and lost to John Torpy's team. And, and we took some shots from 15, 16 yards that, okay, with five seconds on the shot clock, fine, yeah. but not 55 seconds on the shot clock. And so, we used the shot clock after that high point game as a much better metric of our decision making, and it actually slowed us down. Now we still pushed the transition and got it up and out, but um, for us, it actually made created more pause and and more patience. And so I think there's um, there's some that was one thing I wanted to one way to answer the question. The um, the second way, really lucky in 2014 when we hired Sean Kerwin because he'd come from Tufts where they've been playing super fast for a yeah. long time. So he immediately was able to tell us some of the pluses and minuses and some of the trials and tribulations that we were going to experience because he'd gone through them as a player and coach at Tufts. And so he essentially gave us a blueprint for what was going to happen. And, and for essentially it all happened. It, it was true. You know, offensive middies who are like fourth or fifth uh, on the depth chart were in the office saying, I want to be a D midi because the D middies play a lot more because they get to play defense, run down on offense, and something offense happens, and if we score, great. If it doesn't, then they go back and play defense. When's that fourth or fifth offensive line midi ever get in the game? You know, and, uh, and then the scoring droughts, which it was weird. It was uncanny. There was one year at Brown, it was 22 minutes. Like, it happened seven or eight times. We'd go through a 22-minute scoring drought. I'm not sure why, but he warned us. There was going to be 2016 or 2015? 2016. It was. Maybe it was, maybe it was 2015. There were just droughts, yeah. and they just happened. And then all of a sudden you score five goals in five minutes, but you got to, you got to live through it, Lars. You, you got to bite your tongue and, uh, and accept turnovers. And so um, I know the one year we were number one in scoring in the nation, but we were also number three in turnovers. <laughs> yeah. It's, I guess what it fundamentally comes down to Jamie is it was me who always loved and still loves football. And I, and I want to bring the tactical schematic approach from football to lacrosse. And I've done it too much as a younger coach. And I like the idea of managing games and controlling games like football coaches do, a little puppeteering from the sidelines. Yeah. And as I've pulled away from that and come up more with schemes that decentralized command, more internal decision-making on the field and allowing the saying, hey, look, yeah, four turnovers in football is deadly. 16 turnovers in lacrosse isn't. It's a fluid game. We're, we're, we're closer to hockey and soccer than we are to football, Lars. And, and just that was liberating for me of coming up now with, for example, our ride. 
Yeah. I used to, I loved the horn, bringing in special riders, special ops, we called them. And they knew exactly where they were going to go because we had digest the exposing team's exact clearing formation. And on this pass, and I loved it. It was yeah. so football. <laughs> and now there's no horns on the sidelines. And so I had to change. And so now our ride, um, our aggressive 10-man ride, uh, has very few rules. There's just there's some principles and and a couple of badass attackmen are really good at it. Well, you know, it's, it's all, you know, um, sort of a, a, about everything you've been talking about is part of the evolution of coaching where you learn all these things and then you try to make it happen. And then you realize that it's not as good when you make it happen as when the kids make it happen. Exactly. This offensive style of play that Sean Kerwin brought to you essentially whether it's good or bad, it gave power back to the players. And you dialed that thing all the way to the end of the spectrum of, you know, do whatever you want, you know, just like it's okay. And I think it, it really led you down this path of, of finding a balance. Because in 2015, we talked about it, and I was like, I love what you're doing, but I'll tell you what, if you take bad shots, it's, you know, <laughs> it's going to be hard to beat Denver. I remember I was on that game. And, uh, yeah. you know, and uh, but the next year, you guys did dial some things back, get more discipline, but you also had, you know, the best yeah. face-off guy, arguably in the country, the best poles in the country, the Toraton winner, the best goalie in the country, two other All-American attackmen, and oh, by <laughs> the way, you know, uh, middies that were All-Americans that, you know, I mean, it was just an amazing group that you probably could have won with in a lot of different ways. Um, you're, you're right. I would talk with Dom about that, you know, you, you, and he would say you probably could have done it differently with what you had we definitely discovered and we we knew this going into 2017 in charlottesville we yeah. didn't have the right ingredients yeah. what we were doing at brown when you're promoting more shots promoting let's say 90 shots in a game instead of 70 you know 35 for each team now 45 for each team you know so there's gonna be a lot more shots on cage and therefore there's gonna be a lot more goals so you're promoting more face-offs and the opportunity to make more saves you better be good in a goal and you better be good at the face-off x if you're swinging 25% of the faceoff X and your goalies are well under 50%, I don't know if you can play fast. I don't, I, you may yeah. not. The, right. the numbers, the analytics just don't work in your favor. So we go into the 2017 season, our first one in Charlottesville, and um, Jason Murphy's our lead faceoff guy, and he's 53%, and he's battling some tough, tough faceoff men in the nation. Um, in the goal, we were struggling. Um, we, for the second half of the season, we had a first year in there, Griffin Thompson. And, uh, and he's still in the program, and he did, he did a, 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 a – it was a bit courageous for what he was doing actually in there. But yeah. we just – we weren't Jack Kelly and Will Garall anymore. Right. And it certainly helps that in 2019, we're Alex Rode and Patrick Birkinshaw along with Justin Schwenk and Petey LaSala. Right. And now going into 2020, um, Griffin Thompson pushing Alex Rode and Justin Schwenk and Petey LaSala with Gavin Ty and Luke Rugel. I mean, it's just – it, 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 those are those are vital if you want to play this up tempo and invite more shots and invite more goals. Right, but the, the the point is, it's so cool is to be able to allow your players to develop into making decisions for themselves. Because in the end of the day, that confidence and that ability is really probably what got you guys through those tough moments and those comeback victories. I, I, you're right. It's a sense of ownership that it's theirs. That it's oh gosh, if we don't play well here. The coach is going to freak out and scream at us, and we're going to be doing sprints tomorrow. 
I'll tell you what the next step, Jamie, that we've done that is really, really rewarding is we've made the film sessions on Tuesday morning collaborative. Um, and you say, yes, I go into those film sessions with a pretty good idea of how I think we should slide and defend our next opponent. But we've truly made them collaborative. It took two years. The first year, there was almost no give and take, back and forth communication with the, other men, with the men. Year two, 2018, we started making some progress. Year three, it was symphonic for me. It was so wonderful to be in the room and Bo Laurie would come in and put up their top three offensive sets and schemes. Um, and then we'd do the mana plays uh, as well. And then Bo would organize the film clips. All right, here's a scheme number one they do. And here's seven different clips. Let's go through it. Let's watch this. And then stop it. Okay, how do we defend that? What's, who, who should the matchups be? Who's their best attackman? Who should we, how, how do we match up there? Do we go to an invert zone when they invert? Um, you know, uh, who does Matt Jama guard? If Matt Jama's our D midi last year, who we tried not to slide to, you know, do we, do we put, do dare put Matt Jama on one of their better middies or, or maybe not, you know, and just having these conversations and the 20 different questions we come up with every week and list, list, listening to them. I think that made the biggest difference, Jamie. When you talk about letting the offensive players be creative, when do we get to do that with the defense, the film session? It was, I put a smile on my face to experience and to hear, you know, and then, Develop, watch Logan Greco and Kyle Kologi just become that much more comfortable and demand the defense in the film room. David Smith, uh, John Fox, just it's so much fun. Yeah, that is so cool. Do you remember a specific instance where you, you know, had, uh, you know, guys come up with a, a, a game plan that maybe you wouldn't have even thought of? Well, that really started with Larkin Kemp back at Brown. We were doing some of this collaborative stuff at Brown. And I quickly realized Larkin was watching more film than me. <laughs> he's 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 the college student you know with a yeah. full course load you know and i'm getting paid to prepare the defense and and i'm like do you have subscription because some of these uh games you're accessing are not free you know you must be paying for this uh you know like oh i watched north carolina defend them and they did this this and this i'm like god i didn't watch that game and um <laughs> Because yeah, they're not even games on your schedule. It's just games. No, he's just watching games. And John Fox is doing the same thing at Virginia now. And it's and John Fox is doing that now. And coach, I saw this and they forced this guy to his left hand. And I was like, really? It, it's there's been a couple of those aha moments of so cool. Wow, he's right and I'm wrong. And you know, it's really fun in those sessions now. It's because we go in there and it's we're talking and we're sharing, it's collaborative. And, and Jamie, again, the base defense isn't going to change too much, but there's some of the tweaks. And again, are we going in the zone when the ball goes out of bounds with 25 seconds left against this team? Or do we not like zone against them? And are we going to the invert package if they go against Dave Smith and not against Dave Jama, uh, Matt Jama? And some of these questions, I don't, I got a gut feeling on the answer, but what's more important is what they think. Yeah, no doubt. They think the answer, if they think it's right, then it's right. Yeah. I, like, I, and I say that if they think something is right, then it probably is right because they're the ones who have to execute it. So cool. There was something I noticed um, when I was at practice uh, in Jan, you know, whatever it was, January 28th or something. Um, and then I saw it again, help you win a national championship against Yale. And it was this uh, sort of, I would call it freedom to double team. Yes. Burn their back. And that's another way that you've really in, in, uh, empowered your players 
to make plays on defense. Can you talk a little bit about that philosophically? And then yeah, how- let me give Ryan Poley this little historical uh, credit. You know, going against Yale ten years ago, and and uh, I, I can remember some of the defensemen at Yale with Ryan Poley as a defense coordinator, just all of a sudden doubling us from behind. I'm like, wait a minute. As a, as a guy who loved football and I like the rules, wait, what rule is that? Mm-hmm. He just did that. You know, why are you letting him do that, Ryan? And uh, that summer, Ryan and I talked a little bit. He gave me a little bit, not too much. But, yeah, like, well, Lars, why wouldn't you let him do that? And just that simple way he asked a question. I'm like, yeah? So you're going to let those guys do something that's outside the set guidelines – but it's really effective. And it just, it was just like an aha moment, an epiphany for Tiffany, right? Like, <laughs> you're too damn controlling. Like, you're right. And, and so I brought that forward with my teams. And we certainly let Larkin Kemp. At one point at Brown, we called it the Larkin Kemp slide scheme. Larkin's going to go do something and we'll cover his man when he leaves his man. You know, we'll cover up for him. And, um, and then you, as you witnessed in 2019, we started giving the guys more and more freedom to make those plays. And, uh, um, essentially we call it the four yard rule. You know, if you're within four yards of the ball and you want to go, we'll, we'll, we'll cover up for you. Um, now don't go if he's the offensive guy, you know, like you would do, you'd be posted up staring at him. Don't slide right to his face. Right. You know, but if you see an opportunity, uh, his lack of vision, yeah, we'll make a play. And, um, and we did a really, really good job with that. And, uh, in 2019, and especially as you saw in the championship game and you did, some of that Yale is. has this amazing ability to roll back in the middle of the field. Yes. In their sort of one for one, it's deadly and they've, they've done it very well. And the one thing that, that you caught them on that a couple of times where you got some double teams in the middle of the field and they were just awesome plays. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I'll give credit to, uh, you know, the coaching staff. We talked about that. We have one day to get ready for Yale, right? Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, did we slide early? What does that mean for the, if your legs are tired? You yeah. know, uh, the, ball, the ball never gets tired, so maybe we shouldn't slide. You know, uh, you know, because if we start sliding, they start moving the ball. Oh boy! And um, and you know, our coaching staff, you know, Sean and Kip, we talked about it, and they're like, I don't know, coach. I think um, I think if we start going on those rollbacks like you're talking about, they're really dangerous. And I talked to the defense about it. They really like the idea of it. And so I let them make the final decision. Okay, here you go. You want to go? Now, I was thinking about this, that like with more time to prepare, you know, Andy probably would have done his uh, classic sucker double where you turn your back knowing you're just going to bring that guy over to you and then move the ball, which he probably figured out in practice against Poli every day. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that one day, right? You almost never have just one day. And um, right, I know. And and um, kind of like I was thinking about that because it was kind of just a, it was a, you know, that day was a product of your whole year and all of your things you're doing. Exactly, it, it is. It, you just you step away as a coach. You you hope you you try to call a good couple good timeouts at the right time, yeah. but otherwise you just watch it unfold. And um, the biggest thing, sort of like that confidence that comes from the emotional is the way we trained as I. As you probably know, we lifted heavy on Sundays this past spring, and we're going to do it again this spring. Yep. It's a college football model. And so we would have our heavy lift at 1 p.m. on Sunday. 2 p.m., we'd do our film sessions, put the game, good or bad, behind us. 3 p.m., go out there, have a light throw around, uh, have some fun, do some shooting, maybe do some walkthrough. But it was really a, 
and I'm going to get a little deeper on you. It was a little bit of the medicine. Um, you talk about the medicine game, the game of lacrosse. It was an opportunity for us to go out there, helmet six gloves, without the regimentation that I always have, and just be out there for 35, 40 minutes. And if somebody said, "No, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to go get treatment," that's fine. You don't have to go out, come out. And um, if you want some good medicine, come on out. Exactly. The real. If you need some emotion, some emotional, some brain medicine, come on out. Yeah. And um, like I say, sometimes we do about 10 minutes of something productive, walking through our invert zone defense. If we knew a team coming up was going to invert us a lot, but a lot of times we'd be throwing 60 yard balls and shooting with our defensemen and, and, um, and I bring out my, the stick my dad gave me. And, and so it really was like, just, just some medicine. And, uh, but anyways, training heavy on Sunday, um, was really better prepared us for that Memorial day. Now, typically we took Mondays off, but then in May, we started practicing again on Monday. And again, I'll give credit to Doc Saken for that. Doc said, I want to f- know what it feels like to go hard on Saturday and then have to play a big game on Monday. And I said, that's, that's a little forward thinking. Um, but I like it. <laughs> no, I, you know, <laughs> I don't know if we've earned that way of thinking. You know, uh, it's been a while since we've been to the Final Four. But I like what the message that sends to everyone. Yeah. And so we started training on Monday. And I remember the first one being, I was cautious, like, oof, this is going to be hard. Yeah. Their bodies. And we, we only do an hour and a half. I was like, wow. Wow. That was really impressed with the, what the men were able to, to get done. Um, and now, again, I also should tell the listeners, we weren't drinking. We stopped drinking mid-April. And, um, and so there wasn't overcoming of Saturday night as well. You were just overcoming Saturday's game physically. Yeah. And, um, and it made, I just, what I saw that first Monday time we did that, we did it the next couple Mondays. And so now take that to you wake up game day, Monday, Memorial day weekend playing Yale. And they've got a lot of advantages, obviously that been experienced have been, been there. Uh, TD Erland, some fantastic defensive philosophies, offense scoring 20 goals a game, especially 8.5 goals every first quarter in the playoffs. But there was this sort of, intrinsic like physically we're ready for this yeah pretty awesome pretty awesome again that it came from you know the idea came from one of your leaders yes all right so i got a question for you regarding defense okay so um you know you you, you've you've always had many different slide packages um and um we've taught a lot of defense over the years and i've coached a lot of defense myself and i've never really felt comfortable with coma slides and I know you'll slide out of the crease, you'll slide down, you'll slide across from the uh, coma. But what is it about coma slides? You know, there's a lot of high school coaches listening. What is it about coma slides that you like? Um, what is it, you know, I always just struggle to feel comfortable with it. I don't even know why. Maybe I just <laughs> dry longer. Um, but what is it about that slide that you like? Yeah, it's, I'm glad you've asked that because when I left Brown and we came to Charlottesville, I thought there were more teams that were highly successful in defense who slipped from the crease, you right. know, with Notre Dame being the king of it. Yeah. And so I got to Charlottesville and said, all right, this is the time to change. It's a new clientele. There's, there's new people. This is the time to change the rules. And so we did the all crease that 2017. And um, we struggled for many other reasons. Wait, but all crease or all coma? We went all crease. I oh. said, now's the time to change. Lars, yeah. this is time to change. The best program, slide from the crease. Right, Let's right. Go. Okay, got it, yeah. And, um, and we struggled for other reasons as well. And um, 
So after that 2017 season, we changed a lot of things, you know, mostly cultural. But uh, I said, Lars, let's go back to the coma. And I'll tell you why. I, I like the idea of being able to show hedge, fake slides, and go slide with my man having no chance of scoring. Yes, he could put himself in a position to hang me up and put himself in a position to be a good a feeder with his hands for a, cup for a couple seconds. But I like the idea of being able to help support the dodge without, any, without giving up anything. Um, I also feel like when I first started coaching the common cross slides, there were more offenses that took advantage of it. And maybe because it was a little bit more regimentation. Um, I don't, I don't feel like teams make us pay for our cross crease slide. Like maybe you would when I would coach against you and, and Don Zimmerman would, um, I, I, and I don't, I, we're not unique doing the coma slide. I know there's, no, there's I a, know. Yeah. But, but maybe because there's fewer doing to come across, the offenses aren't as geared to exploiting as much as they could or should. So I'm just, I'm a big fan of forcing that inside roll at the corner, sliding cross crease. And now, and then knowing what are the weaknesses, right? If you're a crease sliding defense versus everything, there's certain weaknesses. If you're a coma slide defense, the dodges from behind, there's certain weaknesses. And so we spend an extraordinary amount of time understanding this is what we give up. Let's do the best we can to knowing how do we adjust and accommodate because of that, what they're going to look for. So I guess fundamentally though, I just really like the idea of having a, someone to be able to slide um, and his man not being able to go be a shooter and a goal scorer right away and, uh, and be able to fake that and hedge it. And, um, and get yeah, back. That's good thing. yeah, no doubt. And then in, in the, um, you see a lot more people kind of play invert uh, sort of uh, um, big little invert defense with more of a coma look where they don't even go behind. Oh, yeah, the two versus one. You've seen a lot of two versus one. Right, that's something that's really that, – then that's, a, that's essentially a coma version of invert big little defense, right? You're just staying in front and sliding with that guy and leaving the open man behind or recovering back to him. Exactly. It's a, it's playing a two versus one, and uh, we call it the DH. If we designated a hot guy, like you're you're going hot no matter what, you know, and you can say you're, you're essentially right. You're designated cross crease, crease, whatever you want to say. You're gonna. So you are seeing that with those invert uh, zone defenses. You know, we call you know where you're, you're sort of getting into it and ready, to, but you're gonna get out of it when the ball moves up top. Right. You know, sort of temporary zone, and uh, I. Um, yeah, that, that cross-crease slide, you're seeing that in many other ways. And, and with the zone defense, most zone defenses, if it's a pure zone, right. are yeah. not sliding from the crease. And, right. uh, and just, so it just takes a lot of reps and a lot of practice, though, and because you got to start ro rotating on the perimeter. And so that's what, like I say, you spend an extraordinary amount of time. We spend a lot of reps, especially in those first 15 minutes. I love those first 15 minutes of practice. Yeah. You know, we're doing a little bit of folk work and some stick work, but – it's really, we create three imaginary goals. And so I've got three sort of slide schemes going on. Because we have about 15, 16 defensemen, sort of five on a die. All right, let's work on our cross crease slides, you know, and let's work on our top dodge sliding from the crease. Let's work, and just against air, zero versus five. And I got three fake goals, three defenses going on at the same time. And what's great, Jamie, more about the collaborative is I can only watch one of those. And I love my heart warms up when I've, I've left one and I'm going to another one 20 yards away and they've stopped to talk. A younger me would be yelling like, come on, any more reps? Let's go, let's go, let's go. But the older me is like, they're talking through this. Right. They're taking ownership of it and they're educating each other. I love that. 
It's amazing. I mean, if you think about it, you know, we're expecting everyone to have this ability to communicate. Um, but a, a huge part of it is just huddling up, right? I mean, right. That's, like, that's kind of where it starts is just like in the sandlot when you're, you know, drawing up a little play in the sand of what you're going to do in your little football game or huddle, whatever, you know? That's yeah, and give them the time, coach. Like, I'm yelling at my younger self, Lars, give them the time to talk. Stop thinking you got all the answers and interrupting them, you know? And because your watch says 1248, we're supposed to change a drill. Like, those three guys are talking about the slide package right now. That's great stuff. Yeah, truly is. Now, you, you talked a little bit about riding earlier. Um, how much, I mean, you've always, you know, you and I have talked a lot about riding over the years. Um, you know, I love the riding game. I think it's incredibly interesting. I know you always have. Um, you had such an elite group of attack riders. It was insane. I mean, if you guys were struggling in a game, your, your ride would just out of the pure hustle yes. and effort out of your attack would change the tides of games. Um, and then of course, behind that, you had some, you have some great schemes. Um, can you talk just about the mentality of that and how much of it is, you know, scheme and how much of it is just having an attack that can ride their tails off yeah it's the old nature versus nurture argument right yeah and uh i will tell you it's a lot of it's a lot of nature yeah um you know as a, as a football fan and especially a new york giants fan i look at super bowls 42 and 46 where they were uh, able to beat the new england patriots um they had a pass rush they they could get to brady and pressure him with four men they didn't have to bring linebackers so that allowed them to go against brady's spread offense with seven dbs or seven at least in coverage um, I think the same thing with our ride. We have three attackmen, uh, Matt Moore, uh, Ian Laviano, and Michael Krause, who just innately, it's in their DNA. Ian Laviano, it could be October on a, you know, a Tuesday, and he's chasing the ball to the midline in a 66 drill when no one else is running. Everyone else is watching. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to talk to the defense, and I'm like, What's going on up there? You know, he's like, he's chasing a dude. It's, it's, it's who he is. Yeah. And then Michael Krause and uh, Matt Moore, they want to hit you, you know, and Michael Krause led our team in penalties for much of last season. And it's, <laughs> it's just, it's in them. Yeah. So I have to admit that before it's, it's this magical pixie dust of a scheme. Right. There's no doubt. Um, it's just, and I think, Again, as I talked about, I wanted to be such a tactician and have all the exact arrows drawing the right way and do this. Learning from other coaches, um, watching Notre Dame, I thought Notre Dame's always been a good riding team. Yes. And trying to pick up their concepts. I always thought it was X's and O's, and the more I've watched, I'm like, wow, I think Kevin Corgan's done a fantastic job putting in some concepts and giving them some freedom. And so we've given our attack more freedom um, with some concepts behind them. And... Uh, and so, essentially, for us, we want to think we're in 10 man every time. Now, if you make the save against us and you're the goalie and you throw an upfield pass that comes at us, okay, we're pulling back. But if your first pass goes sideline to sideline or out, outlet sideways, yeah, okay, let's put our horns on. Now we're going to be more aggressive. And um, so, it's, it's, it's a balance of nature versus nurture because we got to teach this. Um, but, oh yeah. And Hey, it's you, you know, I, I, um, the Monroe drill, you Monroe know, drill. Which I, got, I call it the Coquitlam drill, but you call it the Coquitlam I, drill. I you naming it after me. I'll say it out loud. Just so the, the, the viewers, can, uh, Jamie came with this great transition drill, uh, to, to me, get, 
provided me two years ago. And it took one practice of putting it in going, oh my God, this is the best pressure ride, pressure cooler drill in the history of man. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it really came down to doing one thing. It's, it's essentially 10 visas 10, but nobody can cross the midfield line. Yeah. And it was, it, you, know, you had that rule for the Coquitlam drone. And I'm like, okay, I kind of get it. But then for the clearing riding, it was like, oh my God, this is awesome. And so we do the Monroe drill for about eight minutes. And instead of getting four or five examples of 10 man riding in a 10 minute segment, because you got to reset the pieces and talk, we do this continually flowing Monroe drill. We'll get 15 to 20 reps of sliding a field, 10 man pressuring, but not crossing the midline. And the clearing team's got to deal with the pressure and finding the open guy, or they got to throw the deep ball to the corner or shoot from 80 yards. We get like 15 to 20 of those reps. And so we're just trying to, give them general principles and rep it, rep, rep it out. And, yeah. uh, and it's both sides of the ball too, because I mean, it's a phenomenal for, for your clearing and seeing the long. Oh, and, right. Because you can't just run it out. You can't just Ryan Conrad it. You've right. got to, you've got to move the ball and you're under pressure. You're under duress. So essentially it's five on five on each side, counting the goals. And so the goalie makes a save and it's him and four defenders versus five offensive types who are, Obviously, they can make it man-to-man. -man. They can go come after you. If they want to double, they could, and then they got to chase, but they can pressure the heck out of you. And then meanwhile, at the other end, the opposing goalie is probably pushed up, and he's covering an attackman, and that defender's, put, defender's pushed up. And so there's nobody obviously open. And so right. the, the clearing team, they've got to cut hard to get it open. Or, you know, they got to get deep corners to create space so you can throw the yeah. 80 yards. And it's, it's just uh, – it's, it's been – it's been revel it's been a revelation to making us a better clearing and routing team. Yeah, very cool. So it started out with, of course, a box across drill in a rink where there were yeah. four whites against three blues and a goalie at one end. Yes. Four blues against three whites and a goalie at the other end. Right. And it was a seven second shot clock and a seven second clearing clock. And the rule was you can't run it over. And you yep. turned that into, hey, we're gonna go five against four with a goalie at one end and five yeah. and four with a goalie at the other end, same idea. And um, of course it spreads you out when all of a sudden you're clearing, you've got man to man because it's five on five, but on the other half of the field, the goalie has to make a decision. Am I coming all the way out or not? And it teaches right. everybody how to spread themselves out. And we, we, we go with 10 seconds. You got 10 seconds to shoot. Yeah. And then the defense gets to 10 seconds to clear. Yeah. Um, it's pretty and, fun. I watched it. You did it the day I was there. And um, Oh, good. It is, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's so cool. Speaking of Kevin Corgan, you mentioned this. You know, I went to a practice a couple weeks before uh, I got to your practice. And he was doing this really cool uh, goalie plus three-on-three -three riding clearing drill. And so it would be like, you know, shot save, banana out, banana out, defender in the middle. And then the three attackmen were figuring out how to ride it. And the yes. thing you said that I found so interesting was I want them to change up their rotation every time. Interesting. Huh. I really like that drill. We do that drill too. We call it the dirty jersey drill. Um, yeah, you get that four versus three clear to the midline. Whatever defenseman yeah. it is successfully clears, drops the ball and is out. And then we let the attack run up there, pick up the ball, and now it's a three versus two. Coming the back in. Ball. Yeah, yeah. What's cool about the rotation difference, though, is that you've got like, you know, you can have a one, you know, one attackman on the ball, one attackman on the goalie, one attackman on the defender, the ball goes over, 
you know, who then, how are you going to rotate from there? Anybody yeah. can go to cover that overpass. You can hedge it and ro rotate in different ways. It's really cool um, when you start thinking about, again, decision-making and giving your, your players a chance not only to ride in different ways, but also be, be ridden in different ways. Exactly. Um, uh, well, this has really been great. I want to finish up with one last thing. You know, we talk about recruiting all the time. And uh, over the years, we've had lots of conversations about it. I asked you about it on our last podcast. Um, what are your updated thoughts um, on recruiting and sort of like what you're, what you're looking for and, and maybe how's it changed for you and how has it stayed the same? Well, the change has a lot to do with you. You know, and I, I always talk about this, uh, the defense. How do you recruit defensemen? You know, and uh, you set me up with that question years ago. So, Lars, what are you looking for in a defensive uh, recruit, the high school player? I listed off my traits and then, all right. So, it's game day. Who's playing for you? Well, the, describe the traits of the guys who play for you on game day in defense. And I was listing different traits. And I was like, okay, I got your point. <laughs> so, it's been this eternal quest of finding those traits you want on game day. And as a college coach, how do you see those when you're sitting in a lawn chair in July? Um, you know, and you and I have come up with some ideas. Obviously, if you can uh, get those recruits to your campus, to your camps, yeah. you know, and, and really spend some time with them in a film room and see under, how much the game they understand. Yeah. Uh, maybe doing some small lacrosse, you know, 3v3. You know, uh, some three by because they got a lot of two man action and they got to communicate and just seeing how much of that stuff as opposed to just raw combine numbers. You know, we get so enamored with the guys who are built like Tarzan and run up and down the field fast and just smash people, you know, but can they get into an inverse zone defense and then get out of it, you know, and do that come across side and, you know, all those things. So that's, um, it's, it's, uh, I don't have an answer yet to tell you the truth. Uh, I'm very, very picky with defensive recruiting and probably too picky. I'm probably missing some good ones uh, because I'm asking for so much. I want them to have the footwork and, and to be able to be that stud athlete, but also that the cerebral, the mental piece of it. Um, so, so the defensive recruiting, I've probably been a bit more patient and probably a little slower on. And um, I don't want to just grab the, the, the big hot shot athlete right out of the gate, September 1, as they become juniors. I want to see some of that cerebral development. Whereas offensively, I think we're still going early. Um, some of that, that raw talent, uh, that speed, that quickness, that decision making, you know, that, that's, some of that is just, uh, it's, that skill. it's there. It's there, right? Um, it's interesting being in Virginia versus other places where our recruiting list can't be 200 people and it shouldn't be 200 people. Um, and so narrowing down the focus, which is hard. I tell you, because there's a lot of good players we're not putting on our list and yeah. potential players. But when our recruiting battles are against other ACC programs and elite lacrosse schools, we've got to make it more personal. I can't scatter myself out amongst 120 men, uh, boys in the recruiting right. process. Right. Got to get a little bit more like that basketball where you really want to get to know somebody. So I've, I've tried to build a stronger relationship with recruits and and do more of the home visit and, and get up there and watch them play football and soccer. I've always done that, but probably doing more of that and, and, and trying to really get to know them and asking more questions in the recruiting process as opposed to spouting off all the wonderful or what I think are interesting facts about Charlottesville or Providence, Rhode Island. Instead of like asking, I'm, I'm probably asking more questions, um, really finding out what they want, what's important to them. Um, and this age, this generation has been asked that question more often than you and I were asked when we were growing up. People didn't care what we wanted, right? You know, and hey, do the drill. Just go do it. You know, and this group wants to their opinion to be uh, 
to be expressed. So I'm probably catering to that. The early recruiting, you know, made it a lot harder to do that. Now that there's rules that don't allow you to contact anybody until September 1st or even talk about people. I mean, how great is that? You don't actually even have to talk about recruits. I know. <laughs> Just talking about them took forever because, because basically you felt compelled to have that conversation with a club guy to make sure that, that you know, they told the kid that you're interested. You don't have to do that anymore. It's huge. Right. Right. It's awesome. They still press that a little bit. You know, they, they know I can't say anything. So, so what'd you think about, you know, Johnny? Uh, you know, I can't tell you what I thought about Johnny. You know, yeah, exactly. yes, I can say three words. We are interested. <laughs> you know, maybe I can put exclamation point, exclamation point after it. You know, uh, you know, and then they go back. Hey, Johnny, I think they're really interested. You know, uh, so it still happens somewhat, but it, it is liberating. It is wonderful. Um, I love it. Um, there's still a piece of me that would love it to be a little later. You know, because yeah, I don't want for sure eight commitments by October one. Yeah, you know, we did that my fir first year of the rules in th that last year, the class of 2020, we had eight commitments in October and, um, and, and we're really happy with that class, but it's too many. I, I didn't like, like right now we're at six and it's January 2nd with a class of 2021. So we went through the first four months and we've got six commitments and, and we only get 10, you know, we're, we're confined here and, you know, the better the academic institutions, there's a, there's a limited list. And, and so I like the positioning we're at going into the next uh, seven or eight months here. So you're going to get to watch some 2021s through the course of the spring and into the summer. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's so smart to do that. You know, it is just not possible for you guys and you, anybody to do, to, to, to do enough homework on a player after, especially when you're kind of just focused on the class of 2021 last year, even though that's your whole focus, you know, you just can't see people enough to know if the NFL can't get it right. Done, Right. With all of the resources they have and athletes that are four years older. Right. How are you going to, you know, so we already know it's kind of a crapshoot, but I mean, the more information, the more conversations, the more you can talk to a, a guidance counselor or a high school coach, um, you know, and club coaches as well. Um, I, I think it's really, I think it's really impossible. There are more good players and more events and more good teams than there ever has been. How are you going to see everybody? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's what we did at Brown because we sort of, it was a function of being at Brown. We just, you, you don't pick first when you're the, at Brown. You get good, you, you can pick high up than a lot of other programs, but, and it's also just my nature, just being patient, taking my time on big decisions. And so we did it at Brown and you saw those, those last couple of years at Brown, we saw some really good players who were late bloomers. You remember? Bill Malloy towards on winter was on JV as a sophomore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember it was uh, Larkin Kemp. Yeah, I remember calling Justin Walker, the, the Clams coach, <laughs> and, and I, I didn't even say anything. He's like, Loris, I know, I know, I know who you're calling about. I know I told you a month ago I have no one else who could play Division One, but we just gave Larkin Kemp a long stick, and oh, my God. I'm like, yeah, I just went to a camp and saw him. Who is this? It was like it was junior year, sometime during his junior year, maybe November. I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> you know, and uh, – so I just love those examples and just taking our time. So I'm, I like where we are. I actually would be nervous if my if of our opposition, our opponents, only had four or five commitments. I I, I like it when they have ten or eleven commitments by now. Um, I get more nervous when they're like, uh oh, are they trying to are they going to steal our commitments? Are they lurking in the uh, in the, in the sh shallow water? Um, you know. So I I I, I know. So if I flip that on us, I, I like being at six and uh, and being a 
poised to go after some good ones late. Yeah, it's awesome stuff. Well, Lars, uh, best of luck in 2020. Uh, I'm hoping to make another uh, trip down to visit you guys, which I'll check in on. Hopefully, we'll. Oh, I hope you do. Come, come. In. We got you. Stay with me. I, I know you. I know you got a big budget there, but uh, stay with me. <laughs> I'm not doing the RV this year, though. Okay. The RV was a great experience, but the RV for 12 days and the polar vortex was a once that in a lifetime opportunity. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> but I am coming to watch college practices and I will definitely be in Charlottesville. I'll let you know. Hey, thanks for the time. Get back to the family and uh, best of luck. Happy New Year. All right. Happy New Year. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks. I'll take you. Bye. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program, now featuring a seven-day free trial period. And here's your host, Jamie Monroe, with more information on how you can get your hands on some of the best lacrosse content out there for free. How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to my podcasts. I've had so much fun doing them. I only wish that I'd started recording my lacrosse conversations like 25 or 30 years ago. Now, if you like these podcasts, you will love the content I've created in the JM3 coaches training programs and the academies. Whether you're a coach or a player or a parent, there's so much great information for you guys. I've done this content for men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse, for box lacrosse, field lacrosse, youth lacrosse. And the great news is I've created a seven-day free trial. So if you're tired of endlessly searching the internet for great content, just go to www.jm3sports.com slash free trial. And you can get access to all of the content I've created for free for seven days. Trust me, when you take a look at it, you're going to want more. Almost everybody gets hooked. All right. Enjoy the rest of the podcast.